Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking today about something that has deep roots in Indian country and really among indigenous peoples throughout the world. The topic is hydrotherapy, water treatments, maybe things like the sweat lodge comes to mind. That is a form of hydrotherapy, if you will, using heat, using cold in healing ways. My guest is someone who has a lot of experience using this with real live patients as well as teaching it. His name is Benjamin Tiffany. Ben, it's great to have you with us. Thank you very much, Dr. Durez. I really appreciate you inviting me to join you on this show. Ben, you and I had the privilege of actually working together some years ago. We were at an institute called Weimar Institute in Northern California. I was there practicing as a physician, also teaching at Weimar College, and you were one of the hydro and massage therapists. That was an interesting program to work with. I know they're still doing some great things there. Tell us uh, how you ended up uh, there at Weimar and just your background, your journey into this whole field of massage and hydrotherapy? Well, um, I decided I wanted to do something in the medical field. And so after high school, I decided to study massage therapy as a practical, useful skill that I would then be able to take with me um, into the medical field wherever I went. So um, in 2012, I started studying pre-med at Weimar College in Northern California, and that's where I applied for work in the New Start Lifestyle Center and wound up working with you. Well, it was a great uh, partnership. As I recall, I also saw you in my uh, classroom as one of my students, so that was good. We got acquainted in both of those venues, and now you've branched out on your own, and you're putting out hydrotherapy resources. Tell us a little bit about uh, how that came about. I frequently found myself giving presentations on hydrotherapy, um, teaching chair massage, teaching lay people how to use these simple but very, very powerful natural remedies on their families and in their homes. And so I realized that there was actually a really big need for more people to know some of these simple and natural healing methods. Um, these methods are rooted in ancient healing arts for years and years past. Uh, some of the earliest written records go back all the way to Greece and Ro ancient Rome, um, where the, you had the multi-stage, um, baths, uh, the Roman baths, or back in Greece, uh, I believe it was the father of medicine who wrote about how taking an hour long soak could wind up um, doing wonders for your health. And so they, there are all these old ancient records of using water in the practice of healing. And so it's an ancient practice, but I believe modern medicine is, has shown some incredible light on the practice and allowed it to be refined even further in the last two centuries. It's really interesting, the juncture that we find ourselves at today, because I had really not heard a lot of discussion about hydrotherapy among health professionals, but 
with the COVID-19 pandemic, all of a sudden I started hearing about a lot of physicians who were revisiting some of the work that went on back during the great influenza pandemic back in 1918. And I know you, Ben, have looked into that story, into how hydrotherapy was used. We're not going to ask you to give all the details that you could maybe in a professional presentation. I know you've actually got statistics and everything, but if you were to make it simple, what have you learned from looking at the research on hydrotherapy back 100 years ago? So if you go back 100 years and look at the research on hydrotherapy, um, you see that there were actually a few institutions that used hydrotherapy widely in treating the 1918 influenza pandemic. So if you go back on the records, um, there aren't a lot of public health medical records available, um, but the military did keep very, very careful track of soldier infection rates and soldier hospitalization rates and soldier death rates during that flu. So we can compare some of the data that we have from natural living health institutions of the day um, with who used hydrotherapy with the care that was given in uh, military medicine and during the 1918 pandemic. Now, there were some things in the 1918 pandemic that, you know, obviously made it more difficult to treat in a military medical setting because of barrack overcrowding. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we know that, you know, when you crowd a whole bunch of people together, things spread a lot more quickly. Um, so there were things happening with barracks overcrowding and with troop movements that would spread the flu widely. Um, but once you had it, um, you were treated with the very best that medicine had to offer back then. And um, so we, ha we have those statistics today. To compare with. So this is really interesting because what you're saying is, although it may not have been set up as a controlled experiment, we have data from institutions that were using hydrotherapy with institutions in the military system that were using conventional medical treatments without the hydrotherapy. So yes, it's a natural experiment. It's not a formally designed experiment, but it definitely has generated a lot of interest because I've heard a number of medical discussions speaking about this. What was the outcome? Why are people so interested in this today? I think the reason people are so interested in it is because the data is so compelling. Yes, um, the data from the hydrotherapy institutions is in the form of a case study. It's a cross-sectional um, cross questionnaire that was mailed out and then sent back in and the data was collected on 1,123 patients. So that's a com uh, combined total of like 600 outpatient, you know, outpatients that were treated with hydrotherapy versus about 400 inpatients that were treated with hydrotherapy. And so together combined, that number is statistically significant. And what's most, what's most, you know, incredible about that data is the difference between death rates after um, after starting care between military medicine and um, the hydrotherapy institution. And it's the difference that makes it particularly statistically relevant. Um, and that difference is very significant. So we can get into that, though. Well, I mean, you've definitely got us on the edge of our seats. You know, you're talking about a difference, and I'm assuming based on uh, how you've set the stage, that the difference is going to favor those institutions using hydrotherapy. What kind of differences did we see, Ben? 
So if you got the 1918 bird flu, um, if you got that flu and you were treated by military medicine, the army would give you like a five or five and a half percent chance of survival after you were taken into care. Um, the U.S. Navy did a little bit better. Their treatments were right around 4.6 percent. Okay, so when you say 5.5 or 4.6, that's not survival. That's the death rate. So five out of 100, four out of 100 are going to die. Okay, I want to make sure we're on the same page here. Okay. What we need to recognize is the outpatient um, that were taken into care by the hydrotherapy institutions, the natural sanitariums, as they were called back then, um, these treatment centers... Um, when they took in outpatients and they were doing hydrotherapy on them, a lot of times they weren't treating them from the beginning of the illness. They were treating them after they were about to die, right? Mm, okay. So a lot of times these these were, they didn't have the advantage of early care in mm -hmm. in the outpatient statistics. So in the outpatient statistics, the mortality rate was right at three and a half percent, which okay. was just about half just about one percent better than the u.s navy's care but if they had the opportunity to treat somebody inpatient so they were getting very regular treatment and they were treating them early on in the progression of the disease um the chance of you dying was actually about 1.2 percent wow wow so it sounds i mean for again not a formal experiment but definitely enough to to raise questions like, wow, we better look at this if we're going to deal with another pandemic. And I know folks have been looking at some of the protocols. We're not saying influenza is the same as COVID-19, but what did they do with the hydrotherapy that seemed to make the difference? At least what do we conjecture made the difference? So in the case study that was published, um, Dr. W.A. Rubel actually said the principal merit as far as treatment was concerned was placed in careful nursing and hydrotherapeutic remedies. You have to understand these treatment centers were treating people with a whole host of uh, natural remedies. They were putting people on a better diet. So nutrition mm. was getting, was being improved. So people were getting, you know, foods that were high in nutrients, that were high in antioxidants, that were high in all of the ingredients that would help the body to fight their infection. Mm -hmm. where it was possible, they were getting more exercise, they were getting fresh air, they were getting sunlight, they were getting all of these great natural things, but they were also getting careful nursing care and hydrotherapeutic remedies. And that's where the authors of the study thought the most merit should be placed in the difference that they saw between military medical treatment and hydrotherapeutic institutions. So the big question then for us is, what did the hydrotherapy look like? And is it something that's reproducible easily today? It is. And oftentimes it's really, when you look at these numbers and you see how inpatient hydrotherapy was four and a half times better at preventing death than the U.S. Army's medical care at the time. And when you look at those dramatic you know, statistics and you realize that if more people had done hydrotherapy, it could have saved three out of four people that died. Wow. And when you look at the numbers like that, you know, three people out of four could have been saved. 
you begin wondering why in the world do we not see more of this? Why don't we see more research on this? Why don't we see this in practice more? Um, the answer really comes down in a lot of ways to time and money. Hmm. So as medicine progressed over the last century, pharmaceuticals became far more prevalent, far more advanced, and it's a whole lot easier to just prescribe a pill than it is to take 30 minutes out of a nursing nursing care providers day to administer a hydrotherapy treatment. So while it might take half an hour to administer a hydrotherapy treatment, it takes three minutes to administer a pill. And so as a result, the time and the labor that go into doing hydrotherapy properly is burdensome on traditional conventional medicine. So that's why it's not as common even as it used to be a hundred years ago. The questionnaire that was mailed out in this particular case study was mailed out to over 40 hydrotherapeutic institutions. Mm -hmm. Today, I can count on one hand the number of hydrotherapeutic institutions that I'm aware of that serve the general public. So um, as a result, I think that's a testament to the way medicine has gone away from you know, searching for ways to improve your body's natural immune response and towards just trying to fix the symptom or the problem. Now, I know one expert who's gotten a lot of visibility with the COVID-19 pandemic is Dr. Roger Schwelt, S-E-H-E-U-L-T. I know he's been there at Weimar Institute, or at least collaborating with Weimar on some projects. He's an intensive care specialist, a pulmonary specialist, and folks may know him from his MedCram website. But I know Roger has taken a great interest in this research and has shared some of the mechanisms, especially with heating. He's looked at similarities with the Finnish spa therapies. Uh, some people would call it sauna. And I don't want to try to uh, speak Finnish because I know from one of the Finns I worked with in a health institution, it was never sauna. It was something like sauna or something. My apologies to those of you with uh, Scandinavian uh, roots. But the point, uh, Ben, that we want to get to in our next segment is really talking about the specific treatments that seem to make a difference with infectious diseases. We want to look at that in, uh, in some detail. And then we also want to talk about a whole host of hydrotherapeutic techniques that can help you, my listeners, in common things that you're facing. We're not just talking about infectious diseases, far more than that. Stay tuned. We've got a lot more coming up on today's broadcast. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. For 13 and one half years, I was the victim of severe child abuse. I was being beaten, cursed, and deprived of any kind of love and care. It was a big secret. Children are born to be loved, not to be abused. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. 
That's overcomingabuse.org. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your Social Security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with Benjamin Tiffany. Ben Tiffany is a massage and hydrotherapist. He has been working to really get information out into people's hands, practical information that can help them optimize their health using simple water therapies. He is the founder of a group called the HydroCure. And Ben, my understanding is that uh, through that group, you're actually making resources available to people who can actually really learn about hydrotherapy at home. Is that really the case? Yep, that is really the case. So um, you can visit thehydrocure.com, www.thehydrocure.com forward slash native to get a copy for yourself of the main hydrotherapy treatment used in treating the 1918 flu. So we'll, we'll go ahead and launch into that and talk a little bit more about what that treatment was and why it was so effective for that particular flu. Um, but it you know, normally, if you go to www.thehydrocure.com, it would redirect you to a page where you can pick it up for $7. But for listeners of this show and for your audience, Dr. DeRose, um, I want to make this available to you for just a dollar. So a um, dollar it is at thehydrocure.com slash native. Okay. Um, we'll go ahead and launch into the next thing. Okay. So we're interested in hearing about this. You're going to explain the treatment to us on air but if I want to actually see the hands-on treatment, is this right? The, it's a video presentation that if I went on there, I use that special code, the HydroCure slash native for my listeners, then I'll actually basically have a tutorial seeing how to do the treatment, how you use whatever. I got that straight? Yep. Okay. So tell us, what is the treatment that seemed to make the difference as far as influenza outcomes back in 1918, and some people are thinking may make a difference with COVID-19. 
So this particular treatment is known commonly as a fomentation treatment because that's the name of the pad that's used in the treatment. The technical name for it is a general revulsive. It's a treatment where um, you apply a hot pack to the chest and to the back, and then you alternate that with a cold friction rub. And then you do this for three to five cycles and end it with cold. Um, then you have the patient lay down afterwards and rest. So if we were to picture this treatment, alternating hot and cold, the heat exposures are significantly longer than the cold exposures. Is that correct? That is correct. So the heat exposures are about four to six minutes, and then the cold exposures are about 30 to 40 seconds. Um, so you, what you do is you take a cold washcloth, you dip it in ice water, you wring it out, and then you just friction the chest. Um, for females, um, what you can do is you can take uh, like a hand towel and you dip that in the ice water, wring it out, um, place it over the chest, and then you can use friction on the chest through the hand towel. So okay. that's how you would that's how you do that treatment on a female. Okay, so basically this treatment was what was being used in 1918. You're kind of reenacted it. You've been using this treatment. I've used it with patients over the years, and uh, we have felt that it seems to uh, kind of uh, kickstart, jumpstart the immune system. Uh, some of the critics have said, well, this uh, this treatment is just demarginating white blood cells, but the whole idea is we're trying to get white blood cells in the area that we're targeting, and uh, it's it's just interesting to see that that history that you've helped to uh, to uncover. Other insights about this treatment and why people might be wise to learn more about it. So there's two parts of the treatment. One of them is the contrast hot packs with cold. Um, then the other half of it is when the patient's starting to heat up, you put a cold rag on their head and you put their feet in hot water. And then at the end of the treatment, you, you, know, you wipe down their head with the cold, but then you pour that, that bin of ice water that you had for the treatment. You take that bin of ice water and you pour it over their feet and then dry their feet so that their feet are also ending with cold. And that's actually where the general revulsive part of the name comes from because it's a general revulsive generally drawing the blood away from the head away from the chest towards the feet because the feet are in that hot water bath so you have the combination of the two together that creates a particularly effective treatment that was very very useful in 1918 and is still very very useful today my mother actually was trained in how to do this treatment years ago and so when i was growing up if i ever had a respiratory infection, my mom would use this treatment on me and it would really help me to get better so much faster. I would oftentimes get better two, three times quicker than, you know, my peers who had also come down with the same cold. Mm -hmm. So then is there anything else we should speak about this particular treatment? Because we do want to speak about the broad range of hydrotherapy uh, tools that are really in the hydrotherapist armamentarium. So I think, you know, again, safety is also really important when you're doing these treatments. A lot of times you'll use a very hot heated pad. And so I always caution people to use, you know, layers of towel between the hot pad and the skin and always check frequently so that you don't burn the patient. Um, that's probably the most important thing to watch out for when you're doing a hydrotherapy treatment. And it's also very important to watch your water temperature as well, especially if you're dealing with someone that has reduced 
um, blood circulation to their feet, reduce sensation, neuropathies, that kind of thing. Safety is also really important when you're doing this treatment. This is such a great point, and I know one of the rules of thumb we always used in dealing with diabetes and individuals who might have impaired sensation for that reason or for others is never above 104 degrees. Is that kind of the rule of thumb that most people use, or is that maybe too liberal? That is absolutely the rule of thumb when you're dealing with someone with impaired circulation, like in a case with um, a diabetic or someone of, you know, who has that kind of impaired circulation. You can go as hot as the person can stand it, though. If their circulation is not impaired and neither is their sensation, they're not on pain medications, they're not, they don't have an impaired sense of pain and they can accurately tell what the temperature it is. If that's the case, then you can take your water temperatures up to 110 or 112, but you cannot do that with somebody who has impaired sensation of any kind. Great, great, great points. And of course, one of the other things we're always concerned about is individuals who may have major heart issues. Sometimes uh, that really extreme cold contrast could be a problem. Uncontrolled high blood pressure, cold exposure can bump the blood pressure up. Are there other things that would be special concerns in some of these individuals? Actually, I do have a list. Just give me one second and I will pull it out for you. Okay. And while you're doing that, I think one of the things that really drove this uh, home for me many years ago is uh, actually a treatment that used some of the same principles, but in a little different fashion. We've been speaking about heating the feet. Ben, I was uh, actually as a medical student at one of the institutions that still uses hydrotherapy. I later became a, a member of the staff there at Wildwood Lifestyle Center outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, just over the state line in northern Georgia. And while I was there at Wildwood, a woman came in with a severe asthma attack. And rather than rushing her over to the respiratory therapist for a nebulizer treatment, they actually brought her to the hydrotherapy suite and they put her in a hot half bath. So up to her waist in warm water, not just her feet. And they did something opposite to what you said to try to increase the amount of drawing away of uh, that congestion in the lung area and try to break the spasm with a uh, reflexes, they actually put ice on her back. Uh, they, you know, wrung that towel out of ice water, put it on her back, and they gave a, a massage with uh, ice water to her back and would interrupt that every few minutes with heat. And amazingly, that just broke her asthma attack. Uh, I was just astounded because I had seen nothing like that in medical school. So I've got this list now of contraindications. The most important contraindications for the fomentation treatment specifically is with diabetics, you know, being careful with the heat to the feet and being careful with the skin, um, anything with a, where there's a lack of sensation, pain medications, diabetic neuropathy, nerve damage. Those are all things to be on the lookout for um, any conditions that contraindicate whole body heating. You probably, you know, maybe want to avoid um, this particular hydrotherapy treatment with those. So cardiovascular problems, especially congestive heart failure, um, diabetes, you know, again, use it with caution. Um, some textbooks actually say not to use it with hepatitis due to the risks related to heat stroke. But if you're monitoring your patient's temperature pretty carefully, you could probably still cautiously use it. I would get a doctor's approval first, though. Um, lymphedema. 
believe it or not, uh, lymphedema can be triggered by simple things like massage, but it can also be triggered by contrast treatments like fomentations. So that's something to be aware of if you have issues with lymphedema. Um, multiple sclerosis. This can trigger an episode of fatigue with MS. Um, seizure disorders. Also, you should be, you know, looking out for, um, problems, um, with the seizure disorder, definitely have a doctor approve a uh, contrast treatment before you do it. Um, some other contraindications include morbid obesity, pregnancy, the ingestion of alcohol and drugs, um, and a complete inability to tolerate heat and bleeding or hemorrhage. Those are other things that you should probably think about getting those, those situations taken care of before you, before you have hydrotherapy treatment. Thanks so much, Ben. We do have to step away just briefly. If you're enjoying Ben Tiffany and his discussions about hydrotherapy, you definitely want to stay by because he's going to be speaking about a number of practical things that you can use in your home for common everyday challenges. His website is The Hydrocure. That's thehydrocure.com. And if you go to thehydrocure.com slash native, you'll be able to get some uh, special offers that are designed for listeners of this show. We will be back with more as we continue today's broadcast. Stay tuned right after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call one 800 775 hope that's 1-800-775-4673. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. The most negative thinking in my childhood was the things said to me. I felt like I was a bag of garbage waiting to go to the dump. Please, moms and dads, put a watch on your mouth as you relate to your children. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Papa, why can't we telegraph while riding a horse? Son, there ain't no one to blame but Jeffro. He was riding old Betsy the Stallion, tip-tapping away at his telegraph, when blam, ran right into the side of the saloon. Well, if Jeffro can't do it, neither should you. Don't text and drive. Visit stoptextstoprex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Heard-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Every year, hundreds of teens drown. If your teen hasn't learned to swim yet, it's never too late. Even if your teen is a strong swimmer, make sure to supervise kids of any age. No one should swim alone. Teach them to enter the water feet first, wear life jackets on a boat, and never use alcohol or drugs on the water. Drowning is preventable. For more, visit HealthyChildren.org. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs and dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me, Benjamin Tiffany. Uh, Ben and I have a long history together. If you heard from the beginning of the show, Ben was a student of mine, also a colleague, giving hydrotherapy and massage treatments at one of America's natural healing centers called Weimar Institute in Northern California in the foothills of the Sierra Mountains. Ben, we're going to do something a little bit different in this last half of the show, although I'll still be in the host's chair We're going to give you some liberties that I don't give most of my guests because of our previous working relationships. And just want to give you permission at any time if you want to, you know, turn the tables and ask me some of the questions, we're going to give you that liberty, okay? So let's launch into talking about some of the other hydro treatments that you've used. And like I said, feel free to ask me about my experience. Absolutely. So... Some of the other treatments that people can use a lot and and very easily at home include neutral temperature treatments, things like a neutral bath. Those can be really good um, for dealing with insomnia, anxiety, um, those kinds of things. Uh, contrast treatments, they're a general type of hydrotherapy treatment that are incredibly effective for a wide range of different conditions. And we'll probably dive into that a little bit more into in the second half. But then there are also primarily heat treatments. So things like saunas, those can be incredibly useful for detoxification. They can be incredibly useful for specific conditions. I know occasionally I would get prescriptions in the hydrotherapy department from the doctors and new start. And the prescription would be like, you know, this person has high blood pressure and they're really looking to lower it quickly. Maybe we can do some heat treatments like sauna that can help. Um, and so, you know, in conjunction with the rest of the lifestyle therapy that they were getting there, the nutrition and the exercise and, you know, all of the, the, the rest of the whole package, sometimes hydrotherapy could be useful for some specific conditions in that way. Um, and then there's also cold treatments. There have been some very interesting studies showing that, for instance, taking a two-minute cold shower can have an incredible impact on reducing your chance of catching the common cold. They did a really interesting study on college students where they compared one group that just took regular showers and one group that would take a two-minute cold shower. And the two-minute cold shower group, none of them got the cold or the flu that was circulating in the dorm that season, whereas that was not true of the control group. So there are some really interesting studies that have been done on a variety of treatments besides just the contrast treatment. But Dr. DeRose, you know, you, you're you probably one of the few people that I've met that knows far more about hydrotherapy than I do. Um, when I was working at hydrotherapy in the hydrotherapy department at New Start, um, I would get prescriptions from the doctors um, telling me what kinds of conditions the patient had and um, what kinds of treatments they thought the patient maybe should get. Um, and your prescriptions were actually the ones that I learned the most from. Um, so I, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions as well about hydrotherapy. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the physiology behind why contrast treatments are so effective? 
No, I appreciate you uh, taking me up on my offer and turning the tables. These contrast treatments, I would say, are, are fascinating. And sometimes I like to describe it to lay people as kind of like an internal massage. So most people can relate to, you know, a massage treatment. But if we think of this idea of applying alternating warm and cold, we often do it in musculoskeletal conditions. We do it in a variety of things, but it's one of my favorite treatments, and it's easy for people to conceptually understand. So let's say someone had an acute injury. Acute injuries, usually we're treating with ice, elevation, compression. We have that uh, old mnemonic, you may remember it, rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation. We do that because we want to try to minimize the inflammation, minimize the swelling. Let's say someone just twisted their knee. But as you get several days out, sometimes the contrast treatments are actually more effective. So the general principle for most of these treatments is in the range of three to five minutes of heat exposure, followed by, we usually use 30 seconds, 30 to 60 seconds of cold, similar to what you described with the revulsive treatment. The rationale behind it is when you apply the heat, it dilates or opens up the blood vessels. That brings fresh blood supply to the area. If you just use heat, those blood vessels will stay open and you will tend to have a worsening of the inflammation. That's the downside. The interesting thing with any injury that's occurred several days out, we usually don't just have inflammation and pain. We also have some degree often of muscle spasm. The body's trying to guard, let's say, the knee joint in this uh, scenario from further injury. And so the muscle spasm itself is complicating this kind of pain cycle. And so the heat helps to relieve spasm. It uh, is very good for that. Increasing blood supply, so bringing new white blood cells, other things to help address some of the injury that has occurred there. But then we switch from heat after three to five minutes to the cold. The cold constricts the blood vessels, so this is actually a remedy, if you will, or a preventive as far as adding to inflammation in the area. And what also happens then is after that cold exposure, when you reapply heat, now you're going to bring a fresh supply of blood to the area. So it's this kind of internal, it's almost massaging the blood vessels, if you will, uh, the tissues, the lymphatics. You're bringing this uh, alternating supply of blood into the area and trying to nudge things along in the direction of healing. So many of us who've used this treatment, let's say following an acute injury, have found it beneficial. Excellent. Um Actually, on your point about rice and using contrast treatments after injury, uh, as a massage therapist, I'm I'm very familiar with the sports medicine world. And in sports medicine, it has recently come to light that heat after an acute injury, like for instance, a mild to a moderate ankle sprain, can actually be more effective in speeding recovery than cold immediately after the injury. So, um, you don't even have to wait the 24 to 48 hours we usually used to say anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, these things go, go back and forth over the years. I remember an orthopedic surgeon that I was talking with once who worked with a college football team. And he was speaking, I think, metaphorically, because he said, you know, when we'd have these football players injure an ankle or a, a knee, we would hang them from their feet, from the ceiling. And, uh, you know, his point was, 
really to try to get as much inflammation out of the area as possible. And like you said, it's not to say that you couldn't judiciously use contrast treatments, but you know, one of our fears is that you aggravate the inflammation and it can make the healing process a bit more difficult. So, Dr. Duros, you've lectured and taught very widely about immunity and immune system health. How does hydrotherapy relate to immunity, especially as we've talked a lot about infectious diseases earlier in the program? Yeah, I mean, that's a topic that, like you alluded to, Ben, that's been an interesting one over the years. And, uh, you know, there are studies that have come out of Finland. You know, we spoke about the sauna. You spoke about, you know, some of the research on uh, on cold showers. To me, it's interesting because there's an interesting line of research, and we see it in so many different ways. Maybe we could just use the analogy of the gym. So people go to a a gym if they're able to access them these days, and they stress their muscles. They do a mild stressing of the muscles, and this is actually strengthening to the muscles. This is something that's desirable. What's interesting when it comes to lay people is often we think in terms of stress being bad. And uh, you could talk about heat stress. You could talk about cold stress. Yes, you can die from a heat stroke. Yes, you can die from hypothermia. But the body puts um, certain, we call cytokines, certain chemicals, certain um, chemical compounds into play. It stimulates certain systems in the body when you expose the body to mild stress. And so what the thinking is, is that this uh, judicious heat exposure or judicious cold exposure can actually be helping the body to produce certain compounds that may be protective when it comes to infectious illnesses. A lot of the, uh, uh, the research is still in its infancy, even though these techniques have been used for years by indigenous peoples. I remember uh, reading about Native Americans on the East Coast who um, some uh, Europeans who had come to this continent were observing. Uh, I don't want to mention the tribe by name because I would want to be 100% sure, but they were observing them basically doing contrast treatments in the wintertime similar to what the Finns were doing, you know, giving these, uh, you know, exposures to, you know, heat and then going into the cold and uh, using it therapeutically. So both for prevention and therapy, it seems that it has this uh, immuno-augmentative effect. Um, One of the other rich experiences that I've had is being able to work with Dr. Neil Nedley's Depression Recovery Program, um, where I've worked as a massage therapist. And one of the things that their program has used a lot is a contrast treatment because it you know, I was told it actually can have a significant mood stabilizing impact. So it can impact our brain chemistry as well as our um, immune system chemistry. So tell me, I know you've done a lot of research around blood flow and the Methuselah factor, and this might be a great time to plug your book by that name. Um, So where? tell me a little bit more about the Methuselah factor, what is it? How does that play into this whole scenario? Well, Ben, I I know you're trying to endear yourself to your former teacher and your radio host, and you're doing a good job. So yes, The Methuselah Factor is a book that came out in 2019, a book that I wrote, and it's trying to make the science of hemorrheology or blood fluidity practical for lay people. 
And you're exactly right. In that book, we have a section dealing with hydrotherapy. And we talk about some of these hydrotherapy treatments. Because uh, what the research shows is if you can improve blood fluidity, if you can improve blood flow throughout your body, you can definitely improve outcomes. We have data. The first 13 chapters of the book talk about if you can improve your blood fluidity, you can decrease your risk of a heart attack. You can decrease your risk of a stroke. But it's more than that. You can improve your physical performance. You can improve your mental performance. Decrease your risk of blindness. Connections with decreasing your risk of cancer. But back to the subject of contrast treatments, hydrotherapy, and blood fluidity, hemorrheology. One of my favorite examples is one we've talked about as a potential contraindication, and uh, that was diabetes. What is really exciting to me, Ben, is over the years, we've been very successful using these contrast hydrotherapy treatments. Again, never more than 104 degrees for the heat, but we're putting people with diabetes who have neuropathy in these hot leg baths, three minutes there, then we move them into the cold, this alternating hot and cold, and we have seen people make dramatic improvements as far as their neuropathy, pain dramatically decreased, people being able to sleep or or sit and uh, be comfortable doing that, whereas previously they could not. Well, Ben, although I've allowed you to, to turn the tables a little bit, I've got to take the reins again because we are pretty much uh, out of time in this segment. But we are going to come back with a final segment dealing with hydrotherapy on today's edition of our broadcast. You don't want to miss it because Ben is staying by. I'm going to stay by some more practical insights as well as resources that you'll want to take advantage of. Stay tuned. More right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. If child abuse victims don't get counseling or help, they so often become abusers themselves. The victim doesn't make the decisions... They just take the orders. I got help, and so can you. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. So I wanted to talk with you and your mom today, Lily, because some people at school have noticed changes going on with you, and we're concerned. Like what? Who? Some of your friends, teachers, sounds like you've lost interest in a lot of things lately. You're hanging with new friends? So? So, individually, maybe those things are no big deal. But taken together, and then the incident the other day, you were with Derek when he was caught selling marijuana. Yeah, he was selling it. Honey, we know. But we care about you and, and want to know what's going on. That's right. We just want to understand better and see how we might help. And if weed is a part of it, 
We just want to make sure you understand the negative consequences for someone your age, the physical and mental health effects, the poor decision-making, and the confusing legal aspects these days. So what do you say? Can we talk? For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose for our final segment of today's show. Ben Tiffany, my guest. We've been speaking about hydrotherapy. Uh, Ben, you inspired me to grab a copy of my book, The Methuselah Factor, and uh, open it up as we were on break. And uh, I was looking at uh, some of the research that I summarized there dealing with some of the mechanisms by which hydrotherapy works. This was uh, actually looking at some research that had been done on sauna therapy, and they had found some of the ways that it helped hemorrheology, helped blood fluidity, was by decreasing inflammation, Another uh, way it worked was actually increasing a compound that helps to relax the blood vessels, something known as nitric oxide. And then a third thing that it did that uh, you kind of alluded to, this is heat in general, uh, decreases insulin resistance. So actually helping insulin work better. And uh, the thought is if you can improve delivery of glucose to the cells, opening the blood vessels up, the cells can extract it better. In fact, they've actually shown that heating treatments can help to lower blood sugar. So for those of you with diabetes, hydrotherapy can be something that can help lower your blood sugar level as well as potentially your blood pressure. So Ben, a lot of interesting applications for hydrotherapy, but we want to give people some more tools before we close out the show. Tell us about some of the other favorite hydrotherapy techniques that you have. So probably my favorite hydrotherapy treatment to share with people hands down is the contrast shower and this is just because it's so simple everybody takes showers just about um there are a few people who really really love their bath but almost everybody takes showers and when you do it's so simple to once you're warm simply turn that water cold for 30 to 60 seconds turn it back to warm get warm again turn it back to cold Turn it back to warm and turn it back to cold. And you're, you've done an entire complete contrast shower. If you do that right before you, you go to bed, then you also get the 30 minutes of lying down afterwards that amplifies the effects of that contrast treatment. So um, it, it's one of the simplest, simplest, easiest treatments that just about everybody can do in their own home with equipment they already have without taking any extra time out of their day. Just simply doing contrast showers. No, I appreciate you mentioning this. And one of the places that we've mentioned it and advocated a lot with our patients over the years is for sinus problems. So a lot of folks will say, you know, what can I do? I'm taking these medications, trying to get my sinuses to improve. And we'll say, hey, when you're in the shower, do this contrast treatment. Run that hot water right on your your forehead, right on those sinuses. Three minutes, switch it to cold, do those alternations we usually say four to five cycles, 
And oftentimes they'll say, my sinus has just opened up, just, you know, started draining, whatever. It's, other folks will say, well, that's not surprising. When I go outside, my nose starts running. Or when I come in and there's a change of temperature. So a lot of people kind of know that there is something going on with this uh, alternating hot and cold, but really just putting it to use is powerful. Ben, before we talk about some more treatments, I know you've put a lot of energy into hydrotherapy resources. You've mentioned your short video tutorial on how to use the uh, revulsive or the fomentation therapy, but you also have partnered with others and you've got a whole hydrotherapy teaching curriculum. Tell us a little bit about that. So I've partnered with Life and Health to bring my audience, your audience, everyone I meet, the resources to learn how to do even more hydrotherapy treatments. Um, they put a lot of time and effort into producing a complete hydrotherapy course uh, with 17 different hydrotherapy treatments addressed within that course. So there's a couple of modules on the physiology of hydrotherapy, how it works, how to think about hydrotherapy, and then how to do it safely. So there's an entire module that's focused on doing performing hydrotherapy safely and professionally. And then there's two more modules that focus on how to do all these individual hydrotherapy treatments. And so um, when people purchase that course through me, they also get some bonus worksheets and some bonus presentations and interviews and some some extra materials as well to complement and supplement that course. Um, so honestly, if you just go to thehydrocure.com and forward slash native, the second page after the page where you can pick up my fomentation, you know, tutorial, my fomentation training for a dollar. After that page, uh, there will be a page where you can also purchase the full course if you wish. Uh, it's been produced by an incredible media team um, and it's very well done. And you'll have access to that um, on that second page. So if people are interested in that, you can also send me an email if you have any questions specifically about the course or about the fermentation or hydrotherapy in general. You can always reach me by email at benjamin at thehydrocure.com. Okay, well, let me, let me write this down so I've got it, as well as our listeners. So it's benjamin at... The Hydro Cure, and Hydro is H-Y-D-R-O, Cure.com. I got that? Yep, that's okay. correct. Okay, so I've got that there. And, you know, since you're speaking about the folks that produce this uh, hydrotherapy curriculum, uh, the Life and Health Network, I probably should mention, I was just speaking with a, a Native leader, and he was telling me how excited he was about one of the other programs that the Life and Health group has put together something called Diabetes Undone. And he told me how he's working with a number of tribes, I think maybe even working with some uh, organizations that work across tribal lines, trying to get this Diabetes Undone curriculum uh, more widely disseminated throughout Indian country. So they are the same producers, so they're professional production team, and they've put together that course. You're one of the people that's uh, helping promote it uh, throughout the, uh, the country and beyond. So thank you for your efforts on, uh, on that front, Ben. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying my best to get the word out there. You know, my day job helps to fund, you know, spreading the word. Ben, what do you think about the use of uh, the so-called heating compress? Heating compresses are 
an incredibly effective uh, hydrotherapy tool. Um, there's an entire segment of treatments that involve a heating compress. And usually it starts, like you described, with a thin piece of cotton that's been dipped in ice water and wrung out very thoroughly next to the skin, followed by a layer of wool or something that is has a very heating effect but won't chill um, the person is very easily. Um, and then more blankets on top of that. Um, so another example of a compress is a simple one you can do for a sore throat where you just take a thin strip of cotton. It can be like cut from a sheet or it can even be as thin as gauze, something very thin. You wring it out very thoroughly. So it's just damp. You wrap it around your neck and then you wrap a wool sock around that. And it's that simple. You pin it, you go to bed. When you wake up in the morning, the sore throat's gone. Um, so it, it has an incredible impact by first causing your body, forcing your body to heat the area. So your body sends blood first to try to heat it. And if it succeeds in heating and warming the area, then the area stays warm because you've got the layers of wool and blankets on top of that. Um, when the treatment is over, the body sent so much blood through the area um, in order to heat it and warm it that it has actually refreshed the white blood cells in that area. And usually it's also completely fought whatever the infection was. Ben, it's uh, just been great to have you on the show. Great to reconnect with you. Unfortunately, as always, the clock seems to have the upper hand. And our time has slipped away from us on today's edition of the broadcast. But before we go, one more time, Ben, if someone wants to reach out to you, wants to take advantage of your resources, how do they do that? So if they want to reach out to me, Benjamin at thehydrocure.com. Or if they want to access the fomentation tutorial that we've been talking about throughout the show, that's www.thehydrocure.com forward slash native. And if they want to um, purchase any of your materials and your books, your books are widely available on Amazon. You can literally search Dr. DeRose. That's Dr. DeRose on Amazon.com and your books will come up. Um, one of one of the books that I really, really have appreciated and enjoyed is The Methuselah Factor. Um, and it specifically speaks about hydrotherapy. It speaks about blood circulation and how it's important for our health. Uh, you also have another book that you created a few years back when Ebola was on the news. Um, and it's called, I believe, Emerging Pandemics or Evading Ebola. Yeah, Evading, evading Ebola. Ebola, Emerging Pandemics and Viral Infections, something like that. Um, and it talks about how to have your immune system in the best shape so that if your body does encounter a foreign virus or a foreign agent, you'll be in the best shape possible to fight it. Um, and I think that book has gained some particular relevance again with our current conditions and what's, what's currently happening in the world. So you can find those on Amazon. You can also find uh, Dr. Droz's resources at compasshealth.net. Compass, as in like giving directions, uh, compasshealth.net. Thanks so much, Ben. We do have to run. Thank you for joining us on today's edition of the show. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.